Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, one of two shared minds in the drift, together to pilot this juggernaut of destruction. As always, I'm joined by my good friend and 40K mentor, the founder of Vanguard Tactics, the man who's bringing Blood Angels back to sexy, my fellow pilot in the drift, he is the Marshall Stacker Pentecost to my Raleigh Beckett, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how's it going? I'm doing great. I just don't, I never get your references. I think they're awesome, but I just don't know them. I think they're great though. Pacific Rim. What? Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Oh my God, dude. I'm taking you to the movies. Oh, it's a movie. Thought, yeah. Thought you were talking about someone else then. Right. Anyway, so we're moving All on. Right, yeah. to- <laughs> moving on. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that off, offline later. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, hi, everybody. We're doing a podcast, apparently. Uh, let's acknowledge our sponsor for, uh, for this rambling mess that we've started today, Siege Studios. I threw you off there, Dave, didn't I? Completely. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. Massive thank you to Siege Studios for sponsoring this show. And we've also got another segment with James later on today where we help you get your models battle ready. So very much looking forward to that one. Um, obviously, if you're looking to get your armies commission painted or you're looking for some painted tutorials, do check out C-Studios because they're absolutely awesome. Last night I had on stream James's own personal night army and it was an absolute pleasure to uh, run that army on stream. So yeah, which kind of leads us in quite nicely today's episode, right? It does. It does indeed. Um, and uh, I actually am... Uh going to be looking into trying to contact James because uh, I saw that um, I was looking at their website and I know that they also do uh, tutorials and stuff like that. So I'm going to see if I can actually schedule a time because I'm having trouble fin- like figuring out how I'm going to finish my Tau Army and I want James's input. So I'm going to see if I can schedule a time so I can do a, like a one-on-one with him Yeah, on, on a video. So, uh, and, and if you're going to do that kind of stuff, guys, Siege is the place to go. James is incredible. I always find the best way to get value out of anything is to invest in yourself. You know, like everything I've ever done, you know, I bought a video camera. Well, do, do you know what else I bought? A course on how to use video cameras and make film yeah. because you don't know what you're doing with the piece of equipment you have. You're never going to get the most out of it. So absolutely. I think investing in your own knowledge is key. And I've done a lot of that on my own painting and it's common leaps and bounds over the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that from, from your painting and that actually leads into uh, uh, the next uh, topic we got to touch on, which is uh, the Vanguard Tactics Academy. If you're going to spend a whole lot of money buying these models and the time and effort to paint them up, you should know how to use them, folks. So you should join the Vanguard Tactics Academy, or at the very least, if you're going to be at Kublai Khan, if you're going to be at or attending or near the Bay Area Open, and you are listening to this podcast and this interests you, this is you are the perfect candidate to attend the Vanguard Tactics Workshop at BAO. Uh, Bay Area Open is May 27th, 28th, and 29th. However, Steve and Mike and Chris will all be there on May 26th, the night before the event starts, to do a workshop. And I know I've mentioned this a few times. Guys, there are still tickets available. There are still VIP tickets, in fact, available for this event. So go sign up for either a standard ticket or if you if you want to spend some extra time chatting with, with the, the coaches, with Steve and Mike and Chris afterward, go to dinner with them and hang out. Um, do a VIP ticket. It's totally worth it. You get a little extra VT swag. But either way, if you're going to be at the Bay Area Open, sign up for the workshop. It is hugely beneficial. I cannot emphasize this enough, how much it helped me and how much it helped all of the other students who attended the workshop at the Las Vegas Open this year. You should go to the Bay Area Open one if you're in the area. So, Sounds good, Dave. 
Thanks. Didn't ask you to say all that, and you just went out and said it. That's great. Thanks, mate. You're welcome. Uh, it's almost like I'm getting good at this somehow. Well, you know, slowly but surely. Um, you know. we've, got, <laughs> we've got the Academy new date, by the way. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, the last week is this week for the current class, right? So this week, we have just launched our new, completely redesigned, refilmed basic training. So that's our course that's designed for beginners, whether you're coming back to the hobby and you want to learn ninth edition. This is a really good sort of fundamental knowledge step that, again, I would recommend everybody take in order to ensure you understand all the fundamentals. So if you are new or maybe you want to you know, do it with somebody else that is new and you want to work along using our step-by-step method to help somebody, because we've all tried to teach people in the past how to play 40k, right? And it sometimes never goes quite the way you want. They can get frustrated or you can or whatever, but this course shows you how to do it. It takes all the pressure off and it's a great introduction to the game. Um, but yeah, that's now open for enrollment all the time. We've got a, a community on Discord that you get lifetime access to because it's solely around beginners. Um, and we always really help cultivate a great community there to ensure people learn this awesome game. But the Academy is going to open. This next start date for the Academy is on the 4th of July. It's our special date for you. That is. That is Independence Day. Love it. So Independence Day, you can start your journey on the 40K the best academy, in my opinion, if you want to learn how to play 40K, the, the academy. So um, yeah, that's going to be kicking off on the 4th of July. Tickets will start going on sale two weeks before. Um, and if you're already on the waiting list, you'll hear about that as of next week. So you can get your early bird tickets. Yeah. And you can, if you want to, you can still sign up on that waiting list at the moment. Head over www.vanguardtactics.com forward slash learn. And um, yeah, you can see everything there. Get signed up. And I also want to throw in there, just so, so people understand, the Academy is not just a bunch of videos you watch and sort of start drooling on yourself and boredom on your sitting on your couch and then try to figure out what Steve's talking about later. No, no. There is hands-on stuff every week. There are, there are weekly lessons. There are videos, of course. They're short and sweet and to the point. And Steve, as a trained educator, he knows how to explain things clearly and concisely. And there are other weekly assignments. There is a thing called Pick Your Secondaries. One of the biggest challenges that people have in ninth edition is knowing what secondaries to pick. There is an exercise that we do in the Academy every week called pick your secondaries. Steve gives you an army list. Steve gives you a map and a mission and, and puts everything out there for you. And your job is to provide your list and pick your secondaries. And then you get feedback from one of the coaches on what your secondaries are, what you're likely to score and all those sorts of things. That's the kind of education that the Vanguard Tactics Academy brings. That is the kind of stuff you will benefit from. That is the kind of stuff that will bring your game up. So seriously, guys, consider joining. We got a weekly tournament prep live session with Nick Kiva, who, so if you're going to a tournament, he's really helps everybody feel more confident before their events. We've also got another live with Ian and some of our other coaches. So this week, Kyle stepped in, uh, myself and Kyle, Kyle jumped on TTS um, and was just showing his deployment with his towel um, and saying to people how you could take advantage of some of the m deliberate mistakes he had made in his deployment. So we're talking about like threat ranges, line of sights, how to set up targetable smites and all that kind of stuff. So that was really awesome. Um, again, helping people pick the right secondaries or what not to do, looking at it from, you know, melee perspective into like towel. So we can go really minutia. And then obviously we've got all of the members content as well, where, you know, we discover all the latest stuff. We go into it in a little bit more detail. Like we're really focusing on nights at the moment. And uh, I'm sure we'll probably keep talking about nights for a couple, probably about the next month, I think, with all the content we've got planned because there was two probably. codexes we've got to cover. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
guys, seriously, the Academy is worth it. It is not just a whole bunch of videos you're going to, you're going to pay for and then stare at uselessly. There's, there's interactive content. You will interact. Even if you're here in the U S where I'm at, you will get to interact with the coaches. You will get to, to get some good feedback. So consider it. Dave, me and Michael went through and added up every single minute of every single video on the Academy. Oh, how much is it? Well, there's over 130 videos. There was originally going to be 12 modules, but we've ended up doing 16. And if you watch it from start to finish, it's going to take you more than 24 hours. That's some quality right there. <laughs> that is a lot of, and I, and I know that, and I know that you spend more than 24 hours recording all that stuff. Yeah. And editing. But, yeah. Um, it's, it's been worth it. It's been fantastic. And to see it finally all together finished, I'm really proud of it. Anyway, it's a little fun fact for you all. Yeah. Hundred over 130 lessons. Yeah. Average lesson is 11 minutes long. Perfect. See, yeah. short and sweet guys. No, no drooling on yourself on the couch. Uh, so, um, now if you, uh, enjoy Steve and I, uh, waffling on or, or the things that we're talking about, when we actually get to the substance of the episode, uh, please like share, subscribe, give us a five-star review, uh, like Johnny HHH did. Uh, he is, uh, via Apple podcast. We got a five-star review from him. He said, love the show as someone who doesn't play and just collects and paints. I find it an awesome learning tool. Uh, thanks Johnny triple H. We appreciate that. And, uh, we hope you continue to, to uh, enjoy our content. Hopefully, um, you can start playing the game too. It's, you know, get the other side of the hobby and it's, it's well worth the effort. Absolutely. And Steve, do we have a listener question this week? A listener question. Right. You've really thrown me on the spot here. Um, I believe we do. This question is, how do you prioritize your hobby time? Is it an outlet or something you actively pursue? So I'm assuming hobby time, we're talking about painting, building, all that kind of stuff. So Dave, you're a busy man. You're a lawyer. You've got children and you've probably got a social life of some sorts. Could be wrong, but how do you manage your hobby time around everything that you've got going on at home? It, it, you obviously, my, my, uh, my dad has a saying, um, and it drives my wife crazy when he says it, and actually when I quote him, but um, there's always time if you make time. And uh, I hated that hearing that when I was a kid, but as an adult, I understand the wisdom of it. There is always time if you make time. So you have to specifically set time aside for that. And this is just as a mental health thing. You have to do that for anything. If, if you're, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're driving, you're a long haul truck driver, whether you are, um, you know, running a, a, an academy for, for 40 K or whether you are uh, a, a teacher, whatever you do as a, as an, as a job, you have to, you know, there are very few people that, you know, work to, that, that live to work. Most of us work to live and you do your job, but then you need time for yourself. It's a mental health thing. So if hobby is, is your passion, is hobby is something you enjoy, um, you know, whether it's playing 40K or painting, building and painting models or, or whatever it is, you got to set time aside for it. So for me, I will um, get up 30 minutes extra in the morning and I will just go and bleary eyed as I may be. I'll get a glass of water. I'll sit down and um, I will just do a little building or a little painting. Um, and then I will sometimes do that in the evenings as well after, you know, uh, my youngest is is tucked away in bed. My teenagers are um, in their rooms uh, pretending that the rest of the family doesn't exist like teenagers do. Mm. Um, then I, that's when uh, Sean and I will sit down and, um, and we'll build and paint together. So it's just something you can do with your, with your spouse, with your significant other. It's something you do by yourself. But the, the important thing is also just set yourself, you and I have talked about this before, set yourself reasonable goals. Don't let yourself get overwhelmed, but just set yourself aside 30 minutes or an hour per day or every two days and just 
focus on, give yourself that time to do something you enjoy and just sit down and enjoy building and painting. Yeah, I think you need to make it accessible and easy for yourself. Um, so, I mean, I come from a you know bodybuilding background, right? So if you want something done, you've got to get, you've got to put the work in. That's simply, simply the the result of it, really. So sometimes I'm doing a hobby to get stuff done, ready for a stream game, and that's kind of more work than anything. I've got to paint a set of terrain. I've got to build a lot of models for an event and then be at those painted. Or sometimes I just want to chill out and paint something I really just want to paint myself. So you got to balance this. Um, you know, I'll typically, you know, start work. I'll go to the gym in the morning, head to work for about 10, pick up Michael from the station. We'll work until 5.30, maybe 6. Um, you know, often I'll stay maybe a little bit later. Then I'll head home and then it's a, a case of I'm straight at the hobby desk. Then I make my food, prepare my food all for the next day. And then from that point on, depending on how much I've got to get done, I'll step until it's all done really. So again, I'll set myself a goal of what I need to achieve so I can complete it by a certain time or deadline because I have to work to a lot of deadlines, whether it's Games Workshop have sent us some preview copied of models and I need to get those ready for a battle report. And then the battle report needs to be filmed and edited. So um, it's a huge timeline to get everything done. And obviously painting for a competition is, is, is very similar to that as well. You know, you've got your deadline, you need to get things done. So I'll keep a track list of um, what I've got to do. So painting Blood Angels at the moment. Tonight, I'm, I'm going away, but tomorrow is I need to base all my models. So then Saturday morning, I can wake up and prime them. Um, I've been building nights all week because I'm getting Chris's army sorted for him um, in the VT color scheme. So Saturday, I need to paint a big night and I need to paint four little nights um, in a day. And then I've got Sunday night to do some extra. Uh, but yeah, typically, you know, this week has been a lot of work. I've been up until two in the morning getting stuff done. So yeah, sleep is unfortunately had to take a little bit of a wayside there. But then anytime I'm ever procrastinating, you need to quickly recognize that you are procrastinating and get out of it. So if you know, sometimes I'll come home from work, I'll be really tired. I just want to watch, I don't know, my latest favorite series or whatever. You know, I'll sit on my bed, but then I've got like a little tray, uh, which has got like a stand on it and I'll have like a little white light and I'll just do some building while I'm watching, you know, a movie or my favorite show or something, you know, an hour I can build three models. So again, it's just a case of what can you be doing whilst doing this as well? So, um, yeah, like you said, you could watch a movie with your partner. You could be sat on the sofa with a little tray, little desk, a tiny little light just to give you some, uh, you know, to see so you can actually see what you're doing so you can get stuff done. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even, and for you also, because I mean, building and painting is part of your job. So you have to take time away from that to do other things like going to the gym or spending time with, Amy or whatever you're doing, yeah. like you, you, you spend time to do things. Um, yeah. so like today I'm, I'm off for a little city break, do some shopping, um, you know, go out for some nice dinners and, you know, a couple of drinks or whatever and just have some chill out time. Uh, and then back on it, I feel, you know, Saturday I'll be much more refreshed to go back out, uh, on the hobby stuff. Sunday I'm doing practicing with Chris and uh, Michael to get ready for the BAO. Monday we're getting everything done before we fly. So yeah. Yeah. I feel privileged that I kind of, my job is also something I really enjoy. Like I don't begrudgingly do the work. I love it. So yeah, I know I don't really yeah. feel like it's work of that. You know, I wouldn't cl classify it. That. It's just my life. What I do. Yeah. So, uh, when you grow up, try to be like Stephen Box is the, the lesson of this. Um, all right. So guys, if you want to, uh, if you want to find us on social media, if you want to send us listener questions, please do. Uh, you can find Stephen on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tactics. You can find me on Instagram at, at Infantry Lawyer. Uh, 
don't message me on Facebook. I only use that when I want to politically annoy people. Um, but Instagram is the place to find us. And don't forget to go to www.vanguardtactics.com to get more information about the Academy. Uh, don't forget to go to YouTube and check out uh, all of the Vanguard Tactics uh, stream content there. Um, and uh, speaking of which, that is also where you can go to send us questions uh, for the Rules Lawyer segment. But this week, we are actually skipping Rules Lawyer because we have a lot to talk about. We are going to be diving into the Imperial Knights Codex, which is not, um, you know, this is not Sesame Street level, uh, Barney level stuff. This is a, a fairly involved, complex codex. So without further ado, Let's get to part one of the Imperial Knights Codex. We want to start with detachment abilities. Let's go for it, mate. All right. Uh, we'll I'll cover the simple stuff. Uh, as you, um, unlike a lot of other uh, detachments, we have to clarify what has objective is secured. Oh wait, no, that's troops in every other codex. But in this case, it is. There's you know there are the armager class uh, units, which are the the smaller walkers of the Imperial Knights. Those all have objective secured people. Those are your troops, for lack of a better term, although obviously they all count as lords of war. Um, you also, um, Imperial Knights have the Knight Lances and Wandering Hero abilities. And then Imperial Knight units and detachments gain the Unyielding Knight, Household Traditions, and Questor Allegiance Oaths abilities. Uh, we'll get to what all those mean in a second. Household Traditions are just going to be your, your chapter or your order or your sept or whatever. Those are your your uh, your faction-wide rules. Let's start breaking some of this down, Dave. Yep. We'll go big, all right? We'll start off with, yep. you know, basically how this army functions because it's not as maybe simple as the previous Knight Codex, okay? There's a lot going on here. Now, the gr I'm going to say this. Once you master this Codex, and that's what we're going to really help you do throughout this podcast on our members' content, and also I'm going to write a guide on how to get started with Knights. So if you're completely new to the army, I'm going to write a little step-by-step -step guide on how you go from your first game, maybe up to your 10th game, to introduce some of these rules, abilities, add-ons, stacking uh, buffs and everything else. So you feel really great with the book. Um, and I'm going to do that for free. All you need to do is sign up for our mailing list over on our website and I'll ship it out, uh, send that out next week, okay? Um, so just sign up on our website for that and I'll send it out next week because I'm going to write this on the plane basically next week. So... First of all, you've got your detachment, right? You're a super heavy detachment. Remember, you can take up to five knights or five Lord of War slots in that super heavy detachment. So this could be three big boys or it could be units of the smaller ones. All right. Now, the data sheets in this book, you get two different types of armager classes. You get your ones with the, the Helverins, which have got like the autocannon variants. And then you get the Warglaive with the thermal and the, and the chain, uh, chain glaive. Um, and then you've got different types of big knights. Then you've got what we call an errant, a warden, a crusader, a gallant, a paladin, a castellan, a valiant, and a preceptor. And then you've got Canis Rex, okay? Each of these different types I've just listed have a very unique special rule, okay? Um, some of them have a really impactful way at buffing, you know, your smaller armages, and others are just more like a fantastic way of, you know, dealing damage to your opponent. So we're going to cover those in a bit more detail, maybe on next week's show um, or later on today, depending on how we get on. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what we're looking at in terms of a detachment, okay? There are also ways to what we call soup in a knight. So if you're an Imperial Army, you can take a knight as part of your army, and they can actually become an agent of the Imperium. So it doesn't, you know, 
um, stop you from getting any of your army-wide or other army-wide abilities. But we're not going to cover that too much today. We just want to focus on what the Knight Codex looks like by running it in as a super heavy detachment. And as obviously Dave rightly said, your armature classes, they're going to gain objective secured. Um, and then also your other larger models are going to count for um, 10 models. Okay, so the smaller armatures count for five models. Your big boys count as 10. All right. Yeah, no, you explained that perfectly. And then uh, we should also mention that if you're um, when you're doing your knight lances, your your detachments, a super heavy detachment, if you have um, one or two of what they call the Questorus class models and three to five armature class models, um, you will get three of your command points refunded back to you. Uh, and if you do three or more Questorus class models, which are the big ones, or um, if you can, if your detachment contains six or more armature class models, now it's models, not units, six or more armature class models and one or more Titanic units, you get your full six command points refunded back to you for your super heavy detachment. So they have structured this nicely so that you can definitely get, you, you're not going to walk into um, uh, your game starting with three command points. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. And also this what allows us to do is then start taking, because it says your warlord, obviously, you can start to take some characters as well, which is a, pretty much the only way to start to take characters in this book. So Dave, we've got our detachment. The next thing that we need to do is decide if we're going to be in, we've got two camps here, Dave, right? Yeah, these are the Questorus Allegiance camps, right? Yeah, you can be one or the other. Now, this is a huge decision. And the reason why this is a huge decision, because this is now going to then have ramifications on many other decisions that you can have throughout the rest of this book. Um, so if you go down Questor Mechanicus, that's going to unlock certain houses for you to pick from, which is kind of like your legions, or um, it's going to maybe give you access to certain upgrades or certain stratagems you can use. So again, maybe what you want to do with this codex is read it all the way through um, and using our cheat sheet that I'm going to send out, I'll give you like a guide on, you know, kind of what's what. So it's really easy to navigate. That's all I want to do is help you navigate the codex. All right. Um, and then you've got Questor Imperialis. And so each of these different types of abilities or different um, uh, allegiances not only give you an ability, but then also impact your further decision making later down the line. So Questor Mechanicus, if you go for this route, you gain an extra wound on your small knights and you gain two wounds on your big knights. Okay. Um, and then at the start of your command phase, you regain a wound. So that's what you get for being Questor Mechanicus. Questor Imperialis, a little bit different, plus one to advance in charge rolls. You also ignore any modifiers, okay, when you're making an advance roll or a charge roll. And that's a can. So you can ignore the modifier. Obviously, you don't want to ignore your own, so because they're normally good ones. Um, and then each time you consolidate or make a pile in, you get an additional inch. So Questor Mechanicus, a bit more tanky. Questor Imperialis, a bit more faster. Bit, bit more faster? Does it make sense? Just faster. Okay. Right. Got that? Yeah. So uh, uh, endurance versus speed is, is basically how we break this down. And that, and that question mechanic is just so, so we're clear. Uh, it says at the start of each command phase, a, a model with this Questor Allegiance Oath regains one lost wound. So it's every single model will regain a wound. So your entire yeah. army 
will regain a wound in the command phase. So that's that's nothing to sneeze at. It's not like it's just one model. No, no, it's your entire army. Yep, exactly. Right. So you've then got your households. Okay, and in House Imperialis, we've got House Terran, House Griffith, or I'll probably call it Gryffindor for the rest of this, uh, House Cadmus, <laughs> uh, House Hawkshroud, uh, House Morton, okay? Uh, and then finally, we've got the Mechanicus, which is House Raven, House Tyrannus, House Crast, House Volker, um, and then you've got some sort of custom ones as well that you can choose from. Now, each of these houses, obviously, you can only take House Raven and be Quest or Mechanicus. It's locked. You can't be Imperialis and Raven. You can't go. They don't go together. But once you've chosen this household, you're going to get an army-wide special rule. Okay. In addition to those other things we've already mentioned, you also get access to a new stratagem, and you also get a Warlord trait and a Relic. All right? Yep. Okay. Like usual. These are, these are picking your chapters. This is picking your, your Sept, your Order, your Legion, whatever you're doing. This is, this, is your, uh, this is the first big decision you're going to make as you're putting your army together. Absolutely. So the next section of the book is stratagems. And obviously some of those stratagems are associated with certain different classes of knights. Others are associated with, you know, whether you're Mechanicus or Imperialis. So some of the best stratagems, in my opinion, are locked behind one. So it's a really good internal balance. And I think this codex is going to be fantastic throughout time. I think a good knight player is going to be able to consistently keep going back to their codex trying out different households, trying out different allegiances, depending on this, the meta changes. I think the internal balance in this codex is beautiful. I think it's fantastic. I really, really do. I'm not a knight player by, you know, it's not normally my jam, but I can tell you this, reading through this book, uh, diving in really deep to it, has got me very excited about playing this army. Um, so you've got your stratagems. You then got something called Exalted Court. All right, Dave? Yep. you got your Exalted Court. Yeah, these are your pointed upgrades. Um- for, for your units like, uh, you know, Chapter Master and Master Sanctity and those sorts of things. It is, yeah. Now, half of them are Imperialis and half of them are Mechanicus. So again, you've already started making decisions way earlier on if you're going to be either of those. Now, you can only take an Exalted Court model if your model is a character. Now, in order to get a character, obviously you get your Army Warlord. But then there's a stratagem to give, once you've selected your Warlord, there's a stratagem that you can play twice and then upgrade two other knights to having a character keyword and a Warlord trait. No longer can you give a relic to someone and also give them the character ability. It has to be that Warlord stratagem that you use, which I think most people are probably going to spend. Okay, So you get your Exalted Court. Um, upgrades. And with these upgrades, some of them are fantastic. And we'll go over some of the top combos in the moment, but it's again, locked to Imperial or Mechanicus. You get an ability for your Warlord or the Knight you've just upgraded. Okay. You then gain an ability, which sometimes is an aura. Sometimes it's just a pick a model, which then applies to armages. You get one for your war, one for this model, and then an ability for your armages that are kind of nearby. And then there's also a crusade mechanic in there as well. You get something special too. So really quite cool. I'm personally upgrading all three knights because I think some of these are really good with some of the synergies that you can really bring into this army. Okay. The other thing it allows you to do by being an exalted court member is give two bondsman abilities a turn rather than one. Okay. Now a bondsman ability, we haven't covered this yet. Earlier, you know, Dave, I was talking about each of the knights and they have a really special ability. 
yeah, this is this is what I was wanting to get to next is this bondsman ability that um, each 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 large knight has this bondsman ability, and it seems like most of them. I when I was scanning through the book, um, each one generally. Correct me if I'm wrong. They in the command phase, it lets you pick one armager class model within 12 inches, and you get to give it an ability. Is that about right? In a nutshell. So let's take the knight errant. Okay, each knight is different, and each will have a different bondsman ability. Um, now, the big guys, the Dominus-class knights, do not have a bondsman ability. So this is your Castellan and your Valiant do not have them, and your Preceptor and Canis Rex also don't have bondsman abilities. It's just the Errant, the Warden, the Crusader, the Gallant, and the Paladin. Okay, Each of these have a very unique and different bondsman ability to give out to one model, not unit, one model, one armager model within 12 inches. So the Errant gives you advance in charge on a model. And it also, whilst you're under that ability, you gain plus one to your advance in charge rolls as well on that armager. And you look at it and you think, that's not very good. You're only picking one model. But Exalted Court, you can now pick two models. If, however, you're selected by another model to gain a Bondsman ability, you lose the first one and you regain the second one. So let's say the Warden gave a Bondsman ability to a armager. If the armager already had a Bondsman ability, it would now lose it. And now you would gain the second one instead. So it's a replacement of it. So you can't stack them together, Dave, all right? Got it. Now, um, when your army is virtuous and will come or honored, and we'll come onto that later, what that means, it's something to do with your like army-wide special rule Whilst you're under the bondsman effect, you also, your armages become minus one damage. Nice. Really good, right? Very nice. And yeah. It's very easy to stay honored and virtuous, and I'll cover that later. But basically, your army, your armages, whilst they're under the bondsman ability, is also going to be minus one damage. All right? Yep. So that's your exalted court and bondsman abilities explained. Uh, yeah. And just so we're clear, the, the exalted court, there's uh, five or six abilities for Imperialis and five or six different ones for um, Mechanicus. So there's there's a laundry list of things to choose from there. Uh, yeah. But let's um, let's go into the uh, the warlord traits. Are you you want to go through the individual? Uh, let's do the individual house traditions so people kind of get an idea of what the flavor of each each tradition. I know I have my favorite, but I want to hear your thoughts on some of these. Okay, so um, we've got. I'm not going to cover warlord traits relics in. Um, any of the, I'm just going to go for the army-wide rule, all right? Okay, yep. And then we'll maybe dive in and pick a couple of my favorites. Yeah. So the household tradition of the House Terran, each time you advance in charge, you roll an additional D6 and discard a dice result. Okay, so remember, you're Imperialis, so you're already adding plus one to your advance and plus one to your charge. If you're on the effects of... The errant, you're going to be plus two to your charge roll, plus two to your advance roll. You can advance in charge. You're going to be rolling two dice on your advance and three dice on your charge roll. These guys are speedy. Yeah, these guys, there's a reason that the symbol for House Terran is the horse. They, they the are stallion. Yep. It is fantastic. And you can even see, for example, the warlord trait is you can re-roll your advance and charge rolls for the warlord. It's all about speed, okay? Yeah. Right. Uh, we should also mention that the um, uh, that each because we'll we'll get into the honors uh, the honor system in a little, in just a second. But the um, you, so you know each house also has its specific um, uh, oath uh, that it takes, and if you choose this house, you get um, 
you 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 take on that particular oath it's going to help you determine what your um how you get your honor points so uh for for house Terran, you take the vow of honor which is your quest or imperialis allegiance yeah okay. uh, and then the next one is house griffith this I, this is the one i like if i if i was going to play um imperial knights i think this is the one i'd take yeah um, so just just to clarify dave the thing you just yeah. mentioned there the oath the vow of honor they all have the vow of honor because they're all imperialis houses. So basically what that means is that you're locked to imperialis. Oh, oh, oh yes, you're correct. I, I, I had that backwards. Thank you for clarifying. I, I was right. confusing that with the, uh, the, the oath that you take. Yeah. Yes. You say there's those oaths that we take later for the honor system. Yeah. We'll get into that in a second. So I got exactly. that one backwards. Yeah. I'll um, cover that later. So in the minute, yeah. the ones we're covering at the moment are just imperialis and I'll tell you when we move on to the mechanicus ones. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And like I said, the House Griffith is the one I like. Um, each time a model with this tradition fights, if it made a charge move, was charged, or performed a heroic intervention, plus one attack. This is my favorite as well. Um, particularly like this one because of the Warlord trait, advance and charge. So now you've got a big knight that can advance and charge as well. Absolutely fantastic. Again, very fast army, lots of attacks in combat. Brilliant. Yeah. And there's a relic, we won't get into it, but there's a relic that when it charges, it can do a good grip of mortal wounds to whatever it charges to. So yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of House Griffith. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, my brain is kind of going, well, you know, 2023 season, my, mm. I, I kind of want to play something melee-based for a change. And well, Dave, if you want to watch the stream I ran last night, I ran a House Griffith army on stream last night. Check it out. Oh, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to watch it at, uh, at lunch today when I'm eating. So I'm, I'm, I will check that out for sure. What's next? So then we've got House Cadmus, okay? So when you're making a melee attack, um, basically if you're against a vehicle or monster, you reroll a wound roll of one. And if you're up against, you know, six or more models, then you can reroll the wound roll, okay? Nice. That's all right. right. So yeah. you've, got the, you've got different damage levels depending on what you're fighting. can be quite situational and useful. Okay, and yeah. this is quite cool. They're Warlord trait. Minus one damage on one of your big boys. That's quite nice. Yes, that is nice. So next up, we've got the House Hawk Shroud. Okay, um, now this is interesting. One of their bullet points um, states that obviously your characteristics when you suffer damage, you count as double the amount of wounds that you've already taken, which is really good for late game um, because you find that your knight army really starts to lose efficiency as you become wounded. So you'll hopefully stay on, you know, counting as being on your top bracket. Um, and then the second bullet point basically means uh, you count is one honor point higher than you should be. Okay, which is really cool. We'll go on to the honor point system later, but that is quite effective. All right. Um, and your warlord gets, you can pick a, a model in basically, uh, get plus one here to get against it as well. Now, this is something I do want to pick out at this time. Their stratagem is one of the strongest I've ever seen. It's two CPs. Watch out for this one, guys. A household or crowd model from your army that is within 12 inches, can basically heroically intervene. And what this allows you to do is heroically intervene that distance, which is six plus D6 for that heroic intervention. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really nice. All of a sudden, an enemy knight just jumps forward at you. Now remember, if you're within 12, you can declare this. If you roll a one on that D6 plus so basically, if the model's within eight inches of your model, is guaranteed. So this guy has got a guaranteed eight-inch um, heroic intervention because obviously the worst you can ever roll is a one, and therefore that's going to put you in engagement range to fight. So you've got an eight-inch 
heroic intervention at worst. Yeah. It's crazy strong. Crazy, yeah. crazy strong. Really strong. Um, it's also got a really cool um, relic I want to talk about. Aura, five plus feel no pain against mortals. That's very good in the current meta at the moment with Maliceptors being everywhere. Yes. It's an aura affecting all your armages and also your knight as well gets a five plus feel no pain against mortals. Um, I think it's really, really strong because there is a stratagem to get access to a five plus feel no pain against mortals, but it's locked behind Mechanicus. So this is a way of giving your Imperialis army a, a defense against mortal wounds. I think this household is one of the strongest because of the extra honor point, because of the top bracket, um, that relic, the stratagem. It's all great. I think it's really a really, really strong all-rounder there, the Hawk Shroud. So next up, we've got the Morton, okay? Yeah, and this is the one that has the army-wide reroll ones to hit, right? That's it. Reroll ones to hit in combat. Which, since there's not a lot of auras, generally speaking, uh, and because you're going to be, you've got so few models and you're going to be inclined to spread out, even if you had some, an aura, some auras to, to, uh, to give you some rerolls, you, you wouldn't likely be able to get to them. So this is a good way to make sure that your army is getting rerolls of one day. Now, it's only reroll ones to hit in melee, but, yeah. um, but it's still very strong. Yeah, one CP, um, you can basically ignore the hit modifier, the ballistic skill, weapon skill. That's really, really good as well. Um, also, when your warlord, warlord trait here, when you're over 12 away, your opponent is minus one to hit you. I think that's incredible. And there's a really cool Reaper Chainsword relic as well, but we don't need to go about that too much, okay? Yeah. So that's all the Imperialis ones covered so far, Dave. All right? Yep. Now we're on to Mechanicus. House Raven. All right? When you make a normal move, advance until the end of your shooting phase, it can ignore modifiers for its movement characteristic and, and advance rolls, and each time you're selected to shoot, it counts as remaining stationary. So you can advance and shoot without any penalties. Nice. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, because your, your army really does want to be advancing and shooting. You could stack that with the errant, and now your, your armor just could advance and shoot, advance and charge. Really good. Do you feel like the, the, the basic breakdown is sort of Imperialis is more melee inclined as a whole and Mechanicus is more shooting inclined as a whole, or is it not quite so black and white? I think I'd probably, yeah, say that, yeah. I think that's a good synopsis. Okay. Because you've got the speed, right? So speed normally equals combat. Right. Um, right, okay, cool. So they've got a, warlord, um, a strategy, which is quite good. Um, basically, you can select the Questor Mechanicus to gain the following ability. It's like an upgrade before the battle. Each time you're selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one hit roll, one hit roll, one hit roll, one wound roll, or one damage when you're resolving those attacks. That's quite good. And you can actually use that um, you know, more times depending on the size of the army that you're running. Your Warlord can treat minus one AP as zero and minus two as AP minus one instead. So you reduce it by one, kind of like a the old wording of what we used to have for Armor of Contempt. On, yeah, you know, this, this is what we would call Baby Army of Contempt now. Yeah, it used to be awesome, but now it's just the baby one. Yeah. Um, and then also, this is cool, an Aura Relic. Um, reroll ones to hit, okay? Yeah, and since this is, this is not locked to melee only, so as a... Uh, this is this is going to be reroll um, ones to hit for anything melee or shooting. So, um, yeah. and it's called the banner in violet, which is I I think it's a cool name. So, yep. Then we got Tyrannus six plus feel no pain, and you can stand your knights back up with a stratagem. 
Yes, our darkest hour, and your knight who just your opponent thinks they just uh, blew off the table, he stands right back up again. Yep. Um, he's got a really cool effect here. Uh, once per battle, uh, when you roll a d6 or a d3, you'll make an advance roll, a hit roll, a wound roll, damage roll, charge roll, saving throw. You can modify the dice to a six, okay? This is crazy strong. This is called the Knight of Mars when combined with a very particular couple of wall of traits and stratagems where when you roll a six, you can do some crazy stuff. Like, for example, turn off Invun. Okay, so when you can manipulate that at the right time, it's fantastic. When you're virtuous, we're going to cover that later, this Warlord can do the above rule um, per turn. That's per turn. That's not even battle round. That is per turn. That is crazy strong for Warlord yeah. trait. Okay. Yeah, because normally, normally that that warlord trait is once per battle. But if you're if you're keeping your honor system, which we keep teasing, we'll get to it. We promise. Uh, if you keep your army, you're virtuous. Doing that every turn is yeah. very good. Oh, you hit me with a uh, dark lance. Okay, cool. Yeah, roll my dice. Didn't I failed it? Cool, six plus passed it. Yeah, Amazing. my world my warlord has a built in um, miracle dice of a six. Pretty much, yeah, every turn. Yeah. Okay, cool. Then we're on to House Crest, Cold Fury. I used to love Crest. Uh, for those who uh, followed Vanguard Tactics from the early days, uh, I originally started the channel with my Death Watch army. Okay, I had three units of Death Watch. I had uh, my Loyal 32 with my tank commander, and then I had a Crest Knight. So this is kind of bringing some of that back for me, the Crest Knight. Here he is, Cold Fury. Um, when you make a melee attack, a modified hit roll of six automatically wounds. Um, and if it's against Titanic on its own of five up, that's not actually as bad as you think. Cause I, if you watched last night's games, I did roll a lot of ones in combat to wound. So, uh, yeah, rolling some sixes to hit to auto wound. You just skip that step of having another failure point potentially. Yeah. Okay. Controlled aggression. Um, really like this one CP love that name. You can select up to two, um, housecraft homages until the end of the phase or any other crust. You can basically have two armages or another unit, so one of your big boys, one CP, plus one attack, and also improve the armor penetration by one. Great into armor of contempt. Yes. So then you've got the first night warlord trait, uh, improve your weapon skill by one. Oh my God, that's good. So, so, so this is, house crest is a little bit more, as you can see, combat focused of the Mechanicus classes, okay? Yeah. And then you've got the headsman's mark, um, which is, um, Again, plus one damage against vehicles or monsters or plus one to wound against Titanic. Also, I want to say on that first night, um, it says at the end of your command phase, if your army is honored, which you pretty much will be all the time, you can select one virtuous chivalry ability from your selected oaths until the end of your next command phase. That virtuous ability is active for, your, for this warlord. This means that different chivalry abilities can affect this warlord other than your Imperial Knight army. Okay, so this is really good. And the reason why I'm going to tell you this is because if you're honored, well, I'll, I'll talk about it later when we go on to the whole honoring system, because being able to pick a different one from the two that you've already written on your battle roster is so strong because you can't become dishonored by this. You're only gaining these abilities. If I was taking Crest, that wall or trait is an auto-include because of that simple wording. All right, Dave? Yep. Okay, house. We've got, yeah, pretty much one left. Vol yeah, Volker's next. Each time you make a uh, attack with a ranged attack, if you're attacking the closest enemy target, reroll ones to hit. Um, you can get exploding sixes with ranged attacks. Really good for one or two CPs. Um, and then you can have a warlord trait that's got transhuman. It's quite good. Very good. 
Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the stratagem is called saturation bombardment. Nice. Love it. Really good. Love it. All right. That, and that wraps up the household traditions. Now, just to be clear, um, if you take a free blade night as, as a, uh, we kind of skipped over, but it, the Steve had mentioned, you, you'd mentioned how the, uh, there is an ability to add it to super night in to another Imperial or chaos faction for, for, um, for Imperials. That's, that's the free blade system. You, you can pick a free blade night. Your free blade knights don't get household traditions, correct? Correct. Yeah. You get the free blade stuff. Um, you did say chaos, but obviously that'll be in the chaos knights, but you can take right. a chaos knight. You can't take an Imperial knight in a chaos army. Right. Yeah. Just in case people thought, Oh, I'm taking an Imperial knight. In my yeah, chaos. No, we're not souping that far. It's yeah. Soup only goes so thick. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, all right. So then uh, we've got several pages of stratagems, which we will um, kind of skip over right now. Cause like you said, we want to start broad and go down to, to narrow. So you want to, now we've, we've teased it enough. You want to talk about the honor system? Yeah, let's do it. I think it's okay. really important too. Yeah. Okay. So you get this honor system when your army is completely Imperial Knights. All right. So this is your like super doctrine as it were. Um, now one thing to note, you have to actually note two of these down on your roster, on your army roster before the battle. These valves or oves, whatever you want to call them. They have, you've got four to choose from. Okay, Dave? Yep. Four to choose from. Now, what you've got here is a way to gain honor points, and then you've got a way to lose them. So basically, do the honor, do the oath, you get a point. If you don't do it, you're going to lose a point. All right? It's in a nutshell, yep. broadly speaking. Now, And you can never have less than zero honor points, and you can never have more than six. Exactly, yeah. So if you've got zero points, you're dishonored. Just imagine you've got your old 8th edition codex. So you're not minus one damage on your armages, and you're not getting any of these cool extra special abilities. You just get your data sheets pretty much, right? And stratagems yep. and a household, but nothing special. Now remember, you start the game with one honor point anyway. So you already start honored. And then it's very easy to gain these. And I would choose ones that are very easy to gain and also hard to lose. That's what I would go for. Um, so if you're going to a tournament, you're going to need to write this down on your army roster. So you can't change them, you know, before the game or whatever. All right. So next up then, um, you've got honored. That's between one and four points. As soon as you get to five and six, you become virtuous. When you're honored, you gain a special rule. When you're virtuous, you gain an additional special rule. And they do stack. All right, Dave? Yeah. Okay. So the first one, um, the honor is, uh, or the pledge, you do this, you get a point. Heroically intervene with a knight, you get a point. Or charge into combat with an enemy unit that's already in engagement range with one of your units. If you do any of those two things, you gain an honor point. If, however, the situation could arose where you could have heroically intervened or could have declared a charge against an enemy model that's engagement range with you, then you're going to lose it. All right? Yeah. If you like combat, take it. Y yes. Yeah. You don't want to be like, oh, no, I've got to heroically intervene with my, um, you know, Castellan or something. Oh, I've got to charge my Castellan into combat. I don't want to do that, maybe. That's a problem. So again, if you love combat, this is the one for you. Now, your honored ability gives you six-inch heroic intervention. One of the biggest problems about playing knights is that you can get moved blocked very easily, okay? Having an inbuilt six-inch heroic intervention on every single knight. This affects every knight. 
everyone, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. All your armatures, all your big boys, heroically intervening six inches. This is incredible. You just get that because you're honored. Then when you become virtuous, it means your bondsman ability, you can use it in additional time in that command phase. So if you've got an exalted court member, you could use it three times. Okay. Nice. Yeah, pretty good. Then we've got defend the realm. This is a second vow. The pledge is basically at the end of your turn, control more objective markers than your opponent does. Now you're going to lose a point if at the end of your turn, you control less objective markers than you did at the start of your turn. You lose a point. So basically, if you're holding two, make sure at the very least you're holding two at the end of your turn. Yeah, don't just walk off all the objectives because you're going to lose an honor point. You're going to become dishonored very quickly if you start walking off objectives. Um, what I like about this is that it doesn't say like the opposite, where if your opponent holds more, you lose a point. So it's actually these two, I think, are very easy to keep your honor points. And I tried them out last night. I never got dishonored. I never lost one point in, in terms of the entire game. Now, for being honoured, because remember, you're going to get your six-inch heroic intervention if you've chosen that one. You're also going to get this one as well. At the start of your command phase, you gain an additional CP. Instead of the one, you now get two. Two CPs a turn, every turn, in your command, point, uh, in your command phase, that is. Yeah? I love that. So you know earlier when I said you could take a Warlord trait to then just pick one? Yeah. If you've gone for some of the others, you just pick this one, so then you'll He's generating um, this extra CP for you. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Don't even have to roll for your uh, litany like you do with the, my, with, with the uh, material. Yeah. yeah. Just have an extra CP. Um, and then when you become virtuous, again, this is so strong. Your big guys become objective secured. So they're objective secured and count as 10 models. And then if you already have objective secured, now your little armages will become additional three. So they'll count as eight models. Okay. Yeah, that is fantastic. That is, you're going to be flipping objectives real easily that way. Yes. Um, the warden, the knight warden's bondsman ability is pick a model and you count as 10 models. So now you could have an armager who's virtuous, whose objectives are secured and counting as 13 models. If you could took a warden and stack that together. That's great. The only way that's going to get flipped is, oh, 20 Hormagons. And good luck getting 20 Hormagons on, onto an objective and within staying range of a, uh, <laughs> of, of a knight and staying alive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's the next pledge. The, the one after this, at the end of your battle round, if you've killed two or more units, all right? It by, this is the issue, though. In combat. Yeah. Kill two, mo- two, two units in combat and you get an honor point. Now, you lose one. If you decide to fall back, okay, you lose a point if you fall back with a model. However, the honored ability is fantastic. Plus one to hit if you charged, was charged, or heroically intervene. And plus one to hit when your you know, army's basically um, weapon skill two. This is really, really strong. And I think it's a, an auto-include, to be honest. Yeah. Um, now, after using a very combat-heavy army, I need this oath on all of my models. Um, and then obviously... When you become virtuous, you can re-roll your advance roll, re-roll your charge roll. Again, very, very good. Yeah. The, the, the challenge there for the pledge, though, is it says two or more enemy units, not models. So Yes. Yeah. Did I say models? No, no, no. I was just clarifying for, for everybody listening that, that it's, it is two enemy units. So if you're going to take this one, you got to plan on being able to take out, you know, a, two, a, units. 
two two entire units, whether it's you know two tanks, two vehicles, you know a squad and a tank, or you know a dreadnought and something else. So yeah. you 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 now it's not by any it's just by any Imperial Knights unit. So you but you your army has to take out two enemy units in that turn. So that might be a tall ask depending on who you're playing and how cagey they're playing. Now, luckily, you can pick another. So as long as you've gone for another one, so the, I would call this a situational oath. Right, it's situational that you do it. It's it's not really always under your control. A bit like the first one, where you have to heroically intervene or charge a unit that's in engagement range of you already. Again, that's situational. Your opponent can play around it. What I really would do is pick a situational one and stack it with one that is under your control, like hold more objectives than your opponent at the end of the turn. So you can become virtuous or gain points through the one that's under your control, and if you have got, let's say, Custodes, and you're into, I don't know, Guardian spam, you're like, I'm never going to kill two units ever in a turn. At least you've got another way to, you know, stay honoured um, and become virtuous at the end of the game, rather than, you know, this one where you're like, oh, cool. Well, I never heroically intervened, so I never gained any points. And uh, I also, there was a time I wanted to fall back because I had to, and I lost a point, now I'm dishonoured. So you need a way of gaining them um, as well. So to pick a, one that's under your control and pick a situational one. This yeah. next one is, this is the hardest one in my opinion. Um, lay low the tyrants. If an Imperial Knight model um, destroys one warlord, one character, monster, or vehicle during the battle round, you gain a point. Again, this is in combat. This is tough. This is really tough. And you lose a point if less than two enemy units have been destroyed in that battle round. You have to kill two units a turn, otherwise you lose a point. But here's the thing, Dave, if you do it, you get a reroll a hit or a reroll a wound, which is so good in shooting or fighting. And the virtuous ability is once per battle round when you make an advance roll, hit roll, wound roll, a saving throw for one Imperial Knight model from your army, you can change that result to a six. So you could stack that with the Warlord trait that allows you to do it that we spoke about earlier. And all of a sudden you've got two um, one knight can do this once per battle round, and then that other model could do it every turn. There's a lot of dice manipulation here going on. But yeah, if you don't kill two units, you're in a lot of trouble. So if you're playing MSU Drakari, you're fine. But if you're into another knight army or you're into another, you know, custode or something like that, monster mash from Nids, whatever, it's going to be harder, I think, to gain it. Or if you get the first turn and your opponent's just hidden their army, you can't kill two in combat. So but you can't kill two full stop because you can't shoot them, you're in trouble. Yeah, this is a this is a big gamble, big reward uh, decision. Scenario. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, so Dave, I think it's worth covering the preceptor abilities. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So these are called your nightly teachings. Now, your preceptor, Candice Rex and the preceptors have nightly teachings. Think of them like chaplains, okay? So you know three. You can cast two and they go off on a three plus and you can pick a model or sometimes they're an aura, command phase, shenanigans, right? Right. Kind of used to the, um, what this kind of uh, gig does. So we'll go for each of these. There are six to choose from. Again, you pick, you know, three, you can cast two. Aura range, exploding sixes. Now these only affect your armages, okay? Only affect your armages. They can't affect your big boys. Within six, aura, exploding sixes to hit. Okay. Um, brilliant, right? Yeah. I, the, never once is exploding six is a bad thing. And remember, wasn't there a stratagem where you could do this as well? 
I believe there was. Yeah. There's a, there's also a stratagem in combat. So you got you could do this in shooting or in combat, depending on what you've done. So you get double exploding sixes. Yep. Okay. Really good. Which is which is awesome. Yeah. This next one, Oath of Justice Aura. This is really strong. Your armages within six count as having two more honor points than you currently do. That will also is a nice insurance policy if you're going to try to play the the riskier oaths. Well, remember, this would instantly allow them to become honored, and therefore, if they're under the effects of a bondsman ability, also give you minus one damage. Yeah. So this is auto minus one damage. Yes. On models within six, yeah? Yep. Providing that they're under the effects of a bondsman ability. The issue with bondsman abilities, and this obviously, is that it kind of requires you to go first in order to get them off. Otherwise, you can't trigger your minus one damage and you could get heavily alpha strike. That is the... There's two weaknesses in Imperial Knights. One of them is combat. One of them is getting alpha struck off the table turn one. Yes, because you've got... You, you, you can't hide a lot of your stuff, so... Yeah, and then also getting move blocked. I would say they're the biggest three. Uh, the biggest three issues. Um, so the next one is you can perform an action and still shoot better than you think. And I'll tell you why later, uh, because it relates to one of the secondaries, which is very strong. Um, and I think massively underrated. Then you've got number four, six plus feel no pain to armages within six. However, if you're under the effects of a bondsman ability, you get a five plus feel no pain. So your bondsman ability armages are now minus one damage, five plus feel no pain. Nice. That, that really builds in some nice resilience. It does, yeah. Then you've got the Warrior's Hope, pick an armager, and it can count as having a different type of code of chivalry. So one of those O's we mentioned earlier, let's say you didn't take the one that gives you that plus one to hit, cool, have plus one to hit in combat. Or hey, go re-roll a hit roll or wound roll for a turn or something. Again, very, very nice. Finally, the last one is the Wisdom of Nobility. This one sounds terrible. But in reality, on the tabletop is probably one of the strongest, and I would say going to be one of the most used by the top commanders on the table. And I did an actual members video on how this actually works because it's too strong not to take, in my opinion. If this teacher is inspiring, select one noble armager model within 12 of this mentor. Okay. Each time that armager class model is selected for a bondsman ability, you can select one other noble household model uh, armager model within six of that model they both are affected by that bondsman ability so you're you're bouncing it not just giving it your your bondsman ability to one armager but that armager is then passing it on to another within six yeah so what it allows you to basically do is start pinging around bondsman abilities from your original knight to models within around i think the armager base is about four inches as a diameter so you could have a bondsman ability, pick a model within 12, you've got a, tw- you've got a four inch base, so now you're up to 16, and then you can add another six onto that. So one of your big knights can give a bondsman ability using this link ability to another model within 22 inches. Yeah, it's not a synaptic link, but it's, it's still uh, the ability to pass stuff down is it's still good, especially when you've got these big models and your six inch range is not going to cover, you know, it's it's not yeah. quite as much because you've got fewer models spread out around the table. Yeah, absolutely. So again, um, I think that's some really strong 
of those. And I think the more of those you can take in your army, the better, especially if you're going to take lots of armages, you definitely want a preceptor. Um, so on to chapter approved rules. Now there's four here. All of them, I think, are actually quite good. All right. Um, you've got a purge the enemy and no mercy, no respite, a battlefield supremacy and a shadow operations. Now, the way you need to look at this, guys, is think about the secondaries that you can already do and don't pick from those categories. The no mercy, no respite is really tempting because it's kind of like a leap of faith mechanic. Yeah. You kind of, um, depending on your, how many honor points you gain, you can basically get victory points. It's really quite good, I would say. All right. The purge the enemy um, is about killing, but you kind of want to be doing that anyway. All right. You want to leave those open. However, you can't normally pick from shadow operations and battlefield supremacy. This one's also really good for you as well. Basically, don't fall back um, and uh, don't have any opponents that are within your deployment zone. You're going to gain three points. And if you control half or more, you're going to gain five points. You can like, there's loads of different ways to gain loads of points for battlefield supremacy. But again, stranglehold with this army because you can have your big knights being obsec, your little knights being obsec, count as additional models. Winning on the primary, getting Stranglehold is quite good for Imperial Knights, so probably don't take Yield No Ground because Stranglehold is probably what you need, or Line Breaker. However, what you want to do is look at this one. I think most people will overlook it because you're going to think that you're sacrificing too much, but this is the real strength of this secondary. You ready, Dave? Yep. One Knight gets within six, not wholly within six of the center, just within six. You can do an action. Now. If you do the action, you get three points. If, however, you're a Titanic model, you gain four points instead of three. If your model's a character, you gain additional points. So if you've got a Titanic model that's a character doing this action, you just get five points. And then, even better, you then roll a d6. On a four plus, you gain an honor point. So it gives you honor points 50% of the time. And very easily you can gain five points a turn by sacrificing one model's shooting ability. Yeah. So you basically, if you've got, I don't know, three big knights and all of them have got a slightly different gun profile, whichever's going to be the least inefficient at shooting that battle round because of your army's, uh, your enemy army's archetype, right, this is my action knight and you should get at least 10 points out of this for two turns and then you could always use an armager to top up the other two turns. Is brilliant. I think it's a really, really strong secondary. It gives knights some really good secondary plays now. Yeah, and like you said, with shadow operations, that's your raised banners, that's your um, retrieve knockman data, your investigate signal. Knights can't do any of those. So this is this opens up an entire category, which you want to be able to do. So, and you know, I said earlier that you could take a litany that allows a armager model to shoot and still do actions. Yep. Boom. This is the one you take. Yeah. I think you have to take, if I was taking like a, um, a Helverin style build and you know, like there's like data scryer where you've got to do an action on your back objective and then you count, you get additional primary points for holding no man's land ones or you've got to plant a bomb or something. Right. I'd probably look at taking that litany because I think it's just too strong not to take combined with the ability of doing this secondary, you know, pushing a combat knight with his melt, you know, his thermal spear into the middle of the table, do the action maybe even make him a warlord um, or a character at least. Um, and then you're going to get four points a turn for him. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Really, really good. No, I like it. It, uh, I, I think that's definitely something that um, people should, uh, will, will want to consider um, because, you know, 
the worst thing, you know, play, I've played against, I haven't played Knights or Chaos Knights, but the worst thing that both uh, factions have had um, on the table so far is picking secondaries because they're, they're so limited. And if, you know, the, the opponent's list doesn't provide, uh, uh, you know, if it's not night on night violence providing for, you know, Titan Hunter or, you know, there's, there's no way for them to really reliably get points off of you no know, prisoners or grind them down or, you know, they don't want to try to take assassinate because they know you're going to hide your characters. They just knights just going to get stuck into a, a selection of bad options. So the fact yeah. that now that they've got some some really good options, especially opening up that shadow operations, which is an entire category they were denied before. I think it's great. Yeah, it's really good. Now, in this book, there is also an army of renown for free blade lances. You can take a whole army of uh, free blades. We won't cover that today. Um, should we dive into some of the warlord traits and relics you can take for the army? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so relics. I'll I'll do the top ones. I think I won't cover the the weapons too much because I don't actually think they're the real strength of this book in terms of the relics that you're going to have to pick. This one, fantastic sanctuary, four plus invulnerable saving combat. It's the only type you can ever get a combat an invulnerable saving combat. I think you have to take it personally. Yeah, it's too, it's too good not to take. Um, there's a really cool chainsword. Um, the next one. A two plus save on a big on a big night on a little night whatever. There's also a way. There's a stratagem so that you can increase your save by one as well. So when you're in combat, you're on a two plus save with a plus one save. So now you're on a one plus save. And then there's also a way to ignore um, with an upgrade for the exalted court while you're in combat. Ignore minus one AP. Good, really good. It, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. And and because we're we're trying to be worried about that that initial alpha strike and making sure that the few models you have survive past turn two, um, all, yeah. building in as many as much um, redundancy as you can for um, survivability is very important. Yeah. Well, if you want, you know, if you've got a one plus saving combat, when they're minus three, that takes you to two plus three plus. You're on a four plus save, so it's kind of like a pseudo invulnerable save if they're minus three AP. Right. Yeah, it's functionally, it's the same functionally as a uh, invasion vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, this is one of those cool ones, uh, which I said about the dice uh, mechanic. When you roll a six to wound, you do that many mortal wounds instead of the damage. Yeah, which is great. No, no rolling to wound and no, uh, uh, or no, that's a, you roll the wound, you get a six, but you're, you're bypassing armor saves and just going straight to mortal wounds. Yeah. So now that's the helm of the nameless warrior. It's really good, especially if you're taking that warlord trait where you can keep manipulating that wound roll. Of a, um, so let's say you had five attacks, uh, let's say four hit, and you've now got, I think, a 66% chance, something like that, to roll a six on four dice. Um, I think it's just over 50% chance of rolling a six. So if you roll a six, great. Whatever your damage is becomes that many mortal wounds. And then you can modify another dice to a six. You could also then use a virtuous ability if you'd gone for that one and you know gained enough points to then do another dice. So all of a sudden, three of your dice could become sixes, uh, depending on if you've taken the Tyrannus Warlord, tra- uh, Warlord Traitors I spoke about earlier, combine that with the Honor Virtuous ability. And I believe if you did that with a Thunder Gauntlet, your damage is eight. Eight damage. Yeah. So you're going to do 24 mortal wounds in combat with that with that stack. So you're one-shotting another Imperial Knight. Oh, yeah. Well, you go, oh, hello, Scepter. You're dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely a maliceptor. Oh, Swarm Lord. Sorry, mate. You're gone. Yeah. Goodbye. It's strong, right? Very. So I think it was Tyrannus. I believe it was Tyrannus that had that relic. Um, Yeah, Tyrannus it is. Anyway, hard to get off, but if you did, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Okay. This one I really like, the Helm Dominitus. Basically, if you're under the effects of a um, Bondsman ability, you can select this armature and it keeps it. So you don't have to keep replacing that Bondsman ability. You can just have it. So then you'll keep your minus one damage while you're honoured. Um, you know, you'll, you'll keep that advance in charge or that plus one weapon skill, that plus one ballistic skill or the, you know, the re-rolls that you've given it from one of the other big boys. So again, I think that's a really nice relic, especially if you're running lots of armages and you find it hard to keep giving bondsman abilities away. Take this relic. Hey, you can keep that one. You just keep that one. You keep that one. You do that every single turn. I think it's really nice. Yeah. And, uh, uh, aren't you supposed to say the helm dominatus? Isn't it supposed to be all posh sounding? Of the Dominatus, darling. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, the, then we have the Endless Fury, which is a, a relic Avenger Gatling Cannon. We can move past that. Or in my game last night, Endless Misery for me. Um, or just <laughs> Endless Pitter Patter of not much happening. On paper, it looks great. D6. Uh, it's Assault as well, so you can advance and shoot, um, which is interesting. Um, it's 12 plus D6 shots. Strength six, minus three, two damage. So the minus three is really nice because your Avengers are normally minus two. Um, and I think the assault part here is the interesting one because sometimes you do want to be um, obviously advancing and shooting. So yeah. the next one is the Bastard's Helm. And this is for armature class models only. That's yeah. Bastards. That's good. Yeah. Um, add one to the wound roll for that armature. You cannot be affected by bondsman abilities or teachings. That's your downside. However, you can then pick another armature class within 12 until the start of your connect command phase. You also gain plus one to wound, but it doesn't specify that you can't also be affected by teachings and bondsman abilities on this part where you can give it. Yeah. Right. So the, the, his, his uh, partner that he's, that he's passing his ability onto can still get bondsman ability, but the, the bearer, the relic bearer can't. But this well, seems like something you could do. You could put on a couple of Helverins and park in the back and they can... Well, this is a, this is a Bondsman ability itself. Oh, it yes. It, yeah. It's, it was the teachings part I was more referring to because obviously you can only ever be affected by one Bondsman ability. Right. It's the teachings part. So I, I think you could probably have a teachings on this second night. But like you said, a couple of, couple of Helverins in the back there with getting plus one to wound. Beautiful. Yeah, park them on an objective and they'll shoot with plus one to wound, the, the, the two of them putting out so many shots, they'll be putting down anything that comes in a line of sight. And then, you know, chuck some exploding sixes on there for some straps or whatnot, and you're good to go. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one I'll talk about is you can give a big knight objective secured called the Banner of Marcaria's Triumphant. <laughs> now you're just milking it. Okay. Uh, you also start with one additional honor point, darling. There we go. Yeah. One additional point. Pip, pip. Um, <laughs> so again, if you really wanted that kind of one where you need to get virtuous and get that, you know, turn a dice to a six mechanic, like we said earlier, you probably want to take this one. And there's also a warlord trait that pretty much does the same as well. So you could start with, you could already start the game with three honor points. Pretty honored yeah. at that point. Right, next one, Mentor Seal. If you're taking a Preceptor, for me, this is an auto-include. You know an additional 
And each time you recount a teaching, you add one to the role. So now you're doing your litanies on twos or your teachings on twos rather than threes. Okay. Yep. And you're doing, and you're doing, and you know, one additional one, you're not casting an additional one, but at least, you know, an additional one. So you got uh, additional options during your game. Yeah. I do want to say quickly, um, the banner of Markarius triumphant, that is a Questor Imperialis locked. Okay. Yeah. And then the one we, we skipped over was the Mark of the Omnissiah, which is the Quester Mechanicus only. Oh, hang on a minute. I need to do an FAQ on what I've just said. Oh, go ahead. Or Narata even. You know, I mentioned earlier the Helm of the Nameless Warrior where you could change the dice roll to a six. Yeah. Which I said, oh, you could do 24 more wounds. Oh yeah, that's, that's Imperialis only. Yeah. And Tyrannus is the other one, Mechanicus. So no, Stephen, you're wrong. You can only do you could only do 16 maximum. Bad, Steven. No protein shake for you. No protein shake. Sorry, guys. Nearly got that wrong. I, was, I didn't read the... And this is why it's so important to get your Imperialis and your Mechanicus decision made early. So you can yeah. start making this, you know, these decision trees. Okay? It narrows your... Yeah, it, it, it splits half your decision tree or splits yeah. your decision tree in half. So now you've, you've narrowed a lot of your choices down. You do. And you just got to keep checking. Like, I've read this book about 20 th- to 30 times and I... You can still make little errors like that. So make sure if you're writing an army list, you've got it all correct. Make sure when you're playing somebody, they've also got it correct as well. All right? Yep. And then the, the last one was the Mark of the Omnissiah. Uh, this is the uh, uh, Questor Mechanicus, um, Questorus class or Armager class model. Um, it can heal itself. D3, Lost Moons, the command phase. Or if it has the Sacristan Pledge um, ability, then it heals D3 plus one. Yeah. All right. It's okay. Yeah. Um, then there's another quest on Mechanicus about getting additional move, advancing charge, um, and then plus one to your wound roll, which is nice. There's a really cool Thunder Gauntlet where you, on an unmodified roll of a six, you can't take an invulnerable save. So maybe you put that one on your, um, your big knight, your Tyrannus knight instead. So each six you manipulate does nine damage. And at minus four AP and also no invuns, that's probably just as good, right? Yeah, flat yeah, flat nine damage, uh, negative four AP, and you're not getting an invuln. Um, yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty, it's pretty solid. I'm sorry, really? did I just one punch your hive tyrant? I think you did. Yeah. You did do that, yeah. Um, then there's one for the Valiant. Um, there's one for the Castellan. You've got the old Cools Wrath in there. And then you've got another one for a Storm Spear Rocket Pod that can target people. Indirectly. Anyway. Oh, and we know how strong indirect fire is now. Grumble, yeah. grumble, grumble. Right. Warlord traits. You've got one to get CPs back. Each time, this is number two, blessings of the sacristance. Each time a warlord makes a ranged attack on a wound roll of a six, that attack inflicts one mortal wound. In addition, caps at six. Okay. Yep. Do some good for Good for high volume fire like the um, Avenger Gatling Cannon or... Endless Fury, if you took that relic and you're going to get yeah. 12 plus D6, you might roll a 6 if you're lucky. I probably won't, but anyway, you might. So, then you've got uh, <laughs> Warlord Trade. Someday you and I are going to play a game and it's just going to be a battle of who rolls the most ones. I'm going to win. Um, so, 3, um, Iron Bulwark, 4 plus Invulnerable save against ranged attacks. Iron Bulwark, it's back, it's great. Why wouldn't you take it? Um, remember, if you want to have 3 Exalted models, you're going to have to take 3 Warlord Traits. The Warlord traits from your factions, your households are amazing. I think whatever one you take, you're probably going to choose. Um, and there is also a stratagem. Once you've picked your Warlord, Dave, you can give that army Warlord an additional Warlord trait. So you can have two Warlord traits on one model. 
Yeah, which is a return of a stratagem that we haven't seen in a while because that one, that that two warlord trade on a single character uh, strat was not in. It wasn't in the Tau. I don't believe it was in the in the uh, Eldari Codex. It's one that hasn't. Custodes. Was that? I think it's in Custodes. Yeah, I think it's in Custodes, but I don't. I, I don't think it's in GSC. I don't think it's in Eldari. It definitely was not in the Tau Codex. So that's uh, it's nice to see that one return. It makes sense on things like Custodes or Knights because they're just massive elite models. It kind of makes sense they've got a couple of Warlord traits. I think that's right. Cool. Yeah. So the next one is the Knights Sensual Seneschal. You know, you know me and words, mate. We don't get on very well. I know that's um, why you have me here. Plus one attack, okay. And if you're, even if you're dishonored, even if your army's dishonored, basically you still count as being honored. Okay, you're so, still active, basically. Yeah, just just fun. in case you you do do pick an oath and it doesn't work out well. Yeah, it doesn't. You, you this guy still gets his. Yeah, this is this is they should call this the knight insurance policy. Yeah. Um. This one is my favorite, Landstrider. Because it's a movement relic, or trait. I'm going to go over one of the combos with my army list on the members there on YouTube. You can get it for $2.99. There's like a 40-minute video about my army list, how it all works and functions, and I show you the speed of this model, okay, Dave? Yep. Now, I take an Imperialis Warlord, so he gets plus one advance, plus one charge, plus one piling, plus one consolidation, yeah? Yep. I then take House Gryffindor, so I get plus... I get advanced in charge of my warlord, okay? Yep. So I've got advanced in charge warlord with extra charge, extra advance on my rolls. Therefore, I take this. My second warlord trait on this model, add two to my move. If I move 12, okay? Yep. Each time I roll an advance roll, if I roll a one or a two, it counts as a three. Yep. So then add the plus one. So my minimum advance is... 12 inches. Sorry. Yeah. 16. Sorry, 16 inches because yeah. it's 12 move plus 4 is 16. Yeah? Yep. Each time you make a charge roll, treat each dice of a 1 of a 2 as a 3. So now, your minimum charge is you're going to gain 7 inches of movement. So therefore, if somebody is within 8 inches of you, it's a guaranteed charge without rolling a dice. This is the only way I can play knights is just not roll dice, just do stuff. Yeah. Remove the dice from the equation. Yeah. Um, so again, this is awesome, right? Just having yeah. that reliable... And there's also a stratagem, so you just auto-advance six inches. So you could move 12, auto-advance six. It's not a roll, so you wouldn't add the one. So it's just a basically 18-inch move. Then you're charging. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You, are, you, have, you have made your... You have moved 22 inches across the field and gotten into melee. Yeah. And now you're thunder gauntleting or... Reaper chain, chain reapering, something horrible. Um, the revered knight, I like this wall or trait. You always get fight first, so you can't be made to fight last, and also be, basically means you get to interrupt for free. Um, and providing that you've all got, you know, imperial knight keywords, etc., 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 you gain one honor point at the start of the battle whilst you have him. So basically, your army, your army counts as two honor points. If you, if this knight dies, though, you lose an honor point. Okay. So some really cool stacks and abilities in this book, as you can probably already start to work out. And I think what you want to be doing is picking warlord traits and relics that really lean into what your army-wide rules and abilities want to do naturally. Build in more resilience for your army, you know, get that five plus feel no pain on your armages through the teaching, minus one damage. I haven't even covered the exalted courts, um, but there are some incredible exalted courts. 
um, that we could we could go over. Dave, have you got time to do Exalted Courts? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah? Okay, yeah. let's do them then because... Let's do it. Let's just do this in a one Okay, Exalted Courts. You've got, like we said, half for Imperialis, half for Mechanicus. I love these. Dave, I'm going to kick off with my favorite one. Go for it. It's called the High Monarch. This is for all the Imperialis ones. This model has to be your Warlord. This is important. So it has to be your Warlord this night. There's a, you know, not the, I think which is good, it's got a limitation on it. So it has to be your Warlord, which means you can only ever stack this with that uh, extra Warlord trait. Every time you gain an honor point on a five up, you gain an additional one. You're like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound too good. Eh, that's all right. Here's the next bit. When you apply in a Bondsman ability, so remember, you can, if you're an Exalted Court, you can pick two. You can apply two Bondsman abilities to two models within 12 inches. With me so far, Dave? Yep. Then any other Armager within six also gains that same ability, um, Bondsman ability. Yeah. So turning your Bondsman ability instead of picking one guy to an aura, is, that's a very nice upgrade. So you could pick two 12 inches away. Any that are within six gain this one. And then you could use the chaplain to trigger off one of the ones that you picked within 12 to then pass on to another knight. Yeah, so you can really make sure that your bondsman ability affects all or almost all of your armagers. Pretty much. The whole table's worth of armagers are all getting bondsman abilities through this. Yeah. I think it's one of the strongest exalted upgrades you can take, especially when you combine it with this next one. This goes on another knight. While a friend, it's called Monarch Sword, definitely one I've taken. While a friendly character, or noble obviously household character, within three enemy models cannot target that character model with a ranged attacks unless it's the closest eligible target. So now you've got a bodyguard knight bodyguarding your other friendly character knights within three inches. Nice. And then friendly armager models within, sorry, you can fight first as well. Yeah, so whatever, whichever one has the bondsman ability can fight first. Yes. What? How incredible is that? Very. Could you? This is the guy you go, right, you can have a two-up save warlord trait, sorry, relic, and you can have the four-up invulnerable save warlord trait. Yeah? Yeah. You've got, like, just your, your shield, basically, your shield wall, um, and then your other, you know, preceptor or whoever else you've got stood behind them, monarch's ward can't be targeted. Yeah. Okay, really good. Um, this one's okay. The gatekeeper... Whilst you're in your own deployment zone, a modified wound of a one to three always fails. It's quite good. Um, and also, whilst a friendly armager bondsman ability, you give them plus one toughness as well. It's quite cool. I like this one though, Master of Justice. On this night, you can basically select a quest or imperialis martial tradition that you haven't already selected. Okay, you're giving him a third um, household tradition. One of the, one of the uh... Choose your own. Yeah. Yes. I really like one called Strike and Shield. You basically cannot be hit on a one to three. Oh, take that, Eldar. Yeah. Uh, this is only in combat, though, I should say. And also, um, you also then ignore minus one AP in combat. So again, you could have one night on a two up with a plus one save. So you could have one night with a four up in combat, one night with essentially a one up save, and then this guy can't be hit on a one, two, or three. And then this, I would stack this with the warlord trait so that he always fights first as well. 
you've got three really good ways of defending yourself in combat because that is a real weakness of this army is, is combat. Yeah. In terms, not dishing it out, taking it back. Yeah. We should also mention that um, each of these um, Exalted Court uh, upgrades has a Crusade duty. They have, there is an additional rule on each of these that applies just to playing Crusades. If you're playing narrative, they, they have taken it, taken it a step further that each of these has a, um, uh, an effect on your character for, or on your model for, uh, for Crusade. So I think that's kind of cool that they, they added that in too. Yeah, and these are all pointed upgrades, you know, from anywhere from 20 to 45 points. Uh, so yeah, they're cool. Yeah, the High Monarch is 45 points. There's a reason that it's your favorite ability and that it, uh, it is ridiculously good. It is a 45-point upgrade. That's so, a big one, yeah. Yeah. But I think worth everyone, especially if you're running lots of armages nearby. Yes. Okay, cool. So, um, should we go on to the Mechanicus ones? We still have one more Imperialis one, right? The Herald? Uh, so yeah, so it says, uh, this is a question Imperialis character only. Uh, each time a friendly noble household model uses a bondsman ability, if they're within nine inches of this herald, they can select one armature class model that's within nine inches. So if you're, um, even if if this, um, if it's not this model giving out its bondsman ability, if there is another um, model, uh, quester class model that's within nine inches of this herald, then he can put his bonds ability on another on an armager within nine inches. So now you're it's another way to pass a bondsman ability, essentially eight you know nine inches down or or eighteen inches down. If you didn't take a high monarch, what you could do is just take another upgraded guy. You could pick it pick two, right? Yep. And then. Each time a friendly bondsman abilities within nine of this herald, they can select one bond, you know, uh, to apply to as well. Have I got that right? Yep. So therefore, you could basically apply your bondsman ability to four armages. Because this guy can also trigger it twice for you as well. Because you're doing it twice, and each time it does it, it would trigger it to another one within nine of this guy, yeah? Are we reading that right? Each time a friendly noble household model uh, uses bondsman ability, if they are within nine of this herald, they can select one armature class model that is within nine of this herald for that bondsman ability to apply to. Oh, okay. So yeah, the way it rules is written, it would be you can pick one within six and another one within nine. Uh, it uh, bondsman ability is normally twelve inches. Oh, oh, right, right, right. So we're sorry, one within twelve and one within nine. Yeah, and then because you're an exalted, you get to pick two. Right. So then that would apply to another one as well because of this ability. Right. Right. So I really like this on, I would actually make, looking at this now, I would make my preceptor a herald because that then basically gives your preceptor a pseudo bondsman ability of whatever's close to it as well. Yeah. Oh, that is a great stack actually. Just, wow. And on top of it, it says the noble exemplar ability is one armature class model is under the effects of this model's bondsman ability. That armature class model has a four plus involved. Which, but that is the only issue then if you did put this on a preceptor, you wouldn't, because it's not a bondsman ability he's giving. Right. Um, you wouldn't be able to give a four plus inventory. But that's quite good, I think, the Herald, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it and it is a... Um, Measly 20 points. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's only 20 instead of High Monarch. So if you don't want to, if you don't want to splurge for 45 points for the, for the High Monarch, uh, the Herald's a good, a good secondary option. For, it's it's the, uh, the discount version. It is the discount version only because I mean my list. I'm only running four armages, so actually, I'll, I'll get rid of them. I'm on. I'll go and take this instead. All right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Quite good. Yeah. Don't ask for extra points on. I was already going, oh, better put a metal gun on there just to fill out points. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. So we're on to uh, the. Yeah. Now we're on to the question mechanicus. Go for All it. Right, okay. This is the princeps. This guy has to be your warlord. All right. Um, each time you lose on a point, roll a five up. It, it's not lost. You don't really lose on a points that badly. So I don't think that first bullet point is incredible. Uh, once per command phase, though, when this model uses a bondsman ability, it can select a noble household questor. Oh no! You can give your bondsman ability to a big knight. Ooh. Oh, oh dear. Oh wow. snap! As the kids say these days. This is once per command phase. You can't select two big knights. But oh my days. Yeah. That's pretty still. strong. Yes. Being able to pass some of those bondsman abilities onto a big knight could be pretty disgusting. Really, yeah, pretty just offensive. Yeah. It's a shame that, see, if that was under the other one, Imperialis, I could have two big knights that advance in charge. Yeah. With a, oh dear, disgusting. All right, anyway, okay, cool. Uh, Forge Master, while this uh, next one, while this model is within your deployment zone, each time a wound is allocated to it, reduce the damage by one to a minimum of one. It's not uh, cumulative with anything else that reduces damage. Uh, Whilst an armager class is under the effects of bond mobility, um, add one to the hit roll and one to the wound roll whilst it's within your deployment zone. So basically, minus one damage on you, and then you can give one of your armagers um, while it's under the effects of your bondsman ability, plus one to hit, plus one to wound, whilst you're in the deployment zone. Really good yeah. with those Elverins, right? Yeah, yeah. This this plays well into that. If you are playing the Question Mechanicus, to to lean more into a shooting army, yeah. you stay back in your deployment zone. the The only issue I can think of with this is um, those. There's a lot of the missions now in the in the GT pack that you only you either have no. Uh, objectives in your deployment zone like on scouring or you have one yeah. and so you're going to have to come out of your deployment zone to score primary points and then this gets nullified could be really good in like a sort of helverin spam army with yes. a big gun. i think that could be quite good right so master tactician um you can select this upgrade um mechanicus blah 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 that no army um yeah sorry you can select one Questor Mechanicus Martial Tradition, a bit like the other one we spoke earlier, where you could just pick one, all right? Uh, yeah. Like one of the custom ones. And then once per battle, when you use a battle tactic, if you're under the effects of the Bondsman, distraction costs zero. That is also the same wording on the other one as well. We just forgot to cover that. Um, then we've got the Master of Law. If you're a Preceptor, then you can recount an additional teaching. That's really, really good. Yeah. And if you're not a preceptor, it gains the mentor keyword and it knows one teaching from the teachings. Yeah. So you turn him into a, into a preceptor light. Basic preceptor light. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if that now it's not a knight preceptor. So therefore it wouldn't be able to take the relic that be, that's because that's a knight preceptor model only. Oh, you just okay. gain the mentor keyword. You just wouldn't be able to put the relic on it. Okay. Right. You wouldn't want to waste that relic on somebody just to, to do a two-up if they've only got the one yeah. teaching. Like you said, pre, uh, for the five plus Phil No Pain, though, could be quite good. Yeah. That's the one you probably want to take, isn't it? Okay. Um, and then you've got one here. Basically get farm CPs back on fives. And then each time this model 
uses its bondsman ability. It can select a noble household armager that's on the battlefield. Um, it can select basically yeah any any model any armager class on the battlefield gets his, gets the bondsman ability. Yeah, so not even within twelve. Hey, dude, seventy two inches away. Have my bondsman ability. Quite good. Yeah, the the farming CPs on a five plus. I I think that's a trap. I've tried that many times. It yeah. it never goes well. I think that's a I think that's a trap. But the but being able to to launch your bondsman ability across the battlefield is is pretty strong. Now you could always combine it with the warlord trait to farm on fives as well. So then it should be pretty reliable to get one back, especially as obviously haven't GW announced something about this new uh, mission pack coming out soon, Dave? They did, and we this is something we can discuss because it was on the Warhammer Community website. They did announce that um, with the new um, the the you know the new GT pack that's coming out. Um, in June or July, or at least that's our, that's my guess of when it's coming out. They haven't actually announced a release date, but um, I'm just assuming because they did, that's what they did last year was, was, was released it on in June. Um, whenever this next GT pack comes out, they're overhauling all the secondaries and they're changing the structure or the system by which everybody gets their CPs each turn. So. Yeah. You don't say anything. No, I won't. Do you like what I do there? I'm like, so Dave, haven't Games Workshop announced something? And then you can just talk because Right. And then I and then I and then I watch your your microphone go on mute for a second. <laughs> yeah. That's the look away so you can't even read my expression. Yes, exactly. Um so yeah, obviously if farm you know, if farming CPs is something you're into, then might be a good way to go for it. So anyway, I think that's I'm not gonna lie, I think that's pretty a good, a pretty good overview. In terms of the units, let's cover some of the bondsman abilities. The Errant, this is the guy with the big thermal. Um, you can get plus one to advance in charge rolls on your armages and then plus advance in charge. That's great. Hold on, hold on. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do part two of this next week? We're going to do, next week we're going to do data sheet strats and, and your combos, right? Oh. I know you're excited about this codex, man, but we're already at an hour and 38 minutes. We need to, we got to save something for next week. All right, Dave. All right. Right. In that case, um, we will not cover the bondsman abilities. Yeah, we will we'll, we will do that. There's, but that was a huge tease for next week. So uh, you're welcome, everybody. So everybody can come back next week and we will talk about the top combos. We'll talk, we, we will go in depth into the data sheets. We'll go in depth into the stratagems. We'll do that next week. Right now, uh, we will go to uh, James from Siege Studios for our battle ready segment. And then we'll come back and, uh, and uh, walk this one out for the day. How you doing, James? Got another question for you? I'm good. Let's do it. Now, Knights. Let's talk knights for a while. Yeah. Hot topic at the moment. How do we magnetize the arms? Oh, that's a good one. Because you look at them joints and they look like they're not made for it. So obviously there's so many different options now. We need to magnetize our knights. So you've got the variation in choice. How is the best way to magnetize a knight? First things first, get your polarities right, because the worst thing is that you stick different magnets at different different polarities and you can never fit all the armors. You want the polarity across the force to be to hopefully exactly the same. So then that allows you to then just interchange weapons between all the knights, uh, maximum flexibility, especially for you guys that like changing loadouts for tournaments. Um, that's the first thing. So whether you want to put a dot on one side of the magnet with some paint so that you know that it's the blue side of the magnet or the red side of the magnet, that really helps um and allows you to sort of maintain that the, the, you know what bit goes with what um knights are really good if we're talking about the big the big knights then then generally speaking when you remove the arm that flat plate 
where the uh, the arm connects to in the centre of that. If you stick a really nice, decent sized, strong magnet in there, and then on the inside of the joints or the arm joint, um, you can stick one in there, and they connect beautifully. Like really hold extremely well. Um, I'd definitely recommend using that area. Um, things like, for example, secondary weapons and all that kind of stuff. I'd always recommend using a bigger magnet than you think you're going to need because you want the parts to be stuck on really strongly. Um, I've seen it too many times when people don't use magnets that are strong enough uh, or are quite weak. And what happens is the parts are just flapping around on the model. And if you're gaming and you, and you don't, you really don't want the arms and things to be falling off while you're gaming. Um, it's super important. So yeah, um, just look at the best flattest area for the connection point. I'd always recommend super gluing um, the magnets on as well. So they're really, really nice and solidly stuck on. Um, there's a really good glue called Mitre Bond, which is a building trade glue. It's super strong. Um, you can get it on eBay, Amazon, all those different areas. Um, and it literally, it's designed to glue bricks together. So if it glues bricks together, it will glue a magnet to a bit of plastic and it will never, ever come off. Um, so yeah, use strong glue, use strong magnets and make sure that the joints that you've got to, you've got to measure the distance so that the, 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 the magnets either connect solidly or they have like a millimeter gap because then there will be the, the further a magnet is away from the opposing magnet, the weaker the joint is going to be. So really do a bit of homework, dry fit things, blue tack magnets on this is something the way that I do it. Um, I'll normally sink a magnet into a piece as well. And I do that by using like a hand drill. Um, and I'll use a big drill bit and I'll literally just make a hole and I'll kind of like sink the, the magnet half into the piece. Um, that means that it's got a bit of a foundation. The magnet can't pull out the other magnet once it's super glued in as well, which really creates a solid bond uh, and solid connection. Um, it's all about making sure that your parts still are magnetized really well and they move around if you need them to. Um, but so they're not flapping around and loose and all over the place because that's the worst thing when it comes to it. You, you move the model, the arm falls off, it goes off the table and then it breaks. And that's the, the worst case. Um, and just remember, as I said, to make sure that you keep a note of the polarity because you just want to have as much flexibility in the force as possible by changing the uh, by being able to change any arm with any model without worry of, oh, that magnet's not the right polarity. It's a really important thing that sometimes people do overlook. So top tip then is when you buy your big, you know, load of magnets get a permanent marker do the top one put it to the bottom do the next one put it to the bottom and if you've got a stack of 20 permanent marker the same side on all of them so every time you use it you know which permanent marked one is the right side yeah correct yeah that really really helps a little bit of prep work is going to go a long way yeah exactly all right james that's brilliant well i'm going to get magnetized my arms and uh, i'll see you next week see you next week all right, that is it for this week. Next week, uh, like I said, Steve and I will finish up talking about uh, Codex Jaeger. I mean, uh, Codex Imperial Knights. Um, and we're, like I said, we're going to do the deep dive on the data sheets and we're going to talk the strats. Um, and then uh, the week after that, I believe the plan is that Mike will be back and we're going to go through the Chaos Knights Codex. But uh, until then, this is Dave Colmel for Stephen Box saying, today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. Have a great week. What's that off? Pacific Rim. Dude, you've got to watch Pacific Rim. <laughs> no more Rimlet jokes. Right, see you later, everybody, and goodbye. Later. And Steve, do we have a listener question this week? A listener question? Right. You've really thrown me on the spot here. I totally forgot to remind you about this before we started recording. That's fine. Hang on a second. Should I play the Jeopardy music? I don't know what that is. You don't know what the Jeopardy... Do you all not have Jeopardy in the UK?
I don't know what that is. Hang on a minute. <laughs> um, right, hang on. So I'm just going to keep talking. So people, if you if you do go to the, to the Barry Open and you go to the... Uh, We're going to edit this out. What's that? We're going to edit this out. Oh, okay. Then I'm just going to keep, keep talking trash. If hang you on go to the Bay Area Open, you don't ask Steve talking. about anything other than Will Ferrell. 